speak this morning on the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Most of you already know. You can go ahead and take your nap. I'll wake you up when it's over. But nonetheless, uh, while you uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the third chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all you do for your people. Pray that you would just guide us in a special way this morning. Teach us from your eternal word. Now, I've never grown old of learning from the feet of Jesus. So help us to be mindful of what the Holy Spirit has to say to our minds and our hearts. Let it be something that we can leave here and use in a special way in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew, the third chapter. I just want to read the first three verses there. It says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You notice the word Isaiah there. Spelled with an E, that's just the difference between the Greek and the Hebrew language. When you read in Isaiah in the Old Testament, he spells it with an I. So don't get disturbed over that same guy. Amen? But he did prophesy about John's coming, and now he has come. And his first statement is, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For us here at Faith Christian Fellowship, to talk about the kingdom of heaven is a subject we can all pretty quickly relate to knowing what the scriptures teach about it. But we want to talk about it a little bit more this morning. First of all, this is John introducing to his followers this new concept of repentance. You know, repentance is nothing new. It was in the Old Testament. Even there are even scriptures that people quote or unquote, and say even God repented that he did certain things. Well, that is true. Now, God wasn't sorry for him or it wasn't a mistake he made or even a sin he committed. Now, if the repentance that we understand in, the, in our day and time is our fault. Amen? I'm so tired of people saying, the only problems I got are because of everybody else. Sometimes I would like for us all to just sit down, look in the mirror, and say, Lord, is it me? Amen? Quit blaming the rest of the world. Sometimes it's us. And we need to come to that conclusion and say, I'm sorry. Sometimes we even, even need to go back to the people that we've blamed and tell them. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have blamed you for that. I have just as much blame, I guess, or even more to take on myself. I think we would have a full-time job keeping the person in the mirror straight and on track with God and not worry about everybody else, we'd probably be down the road much better off. Amen. So here John teaches repentance and the pattern that he's teaching it to is the one that are going to be looking at as far as what the kingdom of heaven is. He has spoken a term here that they've probably not heard. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the kings, or anyone else in their day and time in the temple even use that term, the kingdom of heaven. 
That was a new term to them. But here, God has always wanted a people to serve him that choose to do what he wants them to do. They have to choose to follow his commandments. And when they choose not to follow the commandments, God has a remedy for that, okay? And in John's day and time, it was repentance. If the word repentance means turn around. You're going the wrong way, amen? You was headed one way, that's the wrong way. Go the other way, amen? So we need to get out on our, our minds to understand what God had on his minds in that. To keep the ordinances that he had set for the children of God to obey, he wanted them to say, I did not keep them the way you told me to keep them. Too many times in the Old Testament, they had to say, I sinned. I made wrong choices. And God had to set up, if you would, consequences for those sinners. See, God has laws. And a law is useless unless it has consequences for breaking them. Amen? You can set up speed limits all over Mason, stop signs everywhere, and if you don't want to pay any attention to them, you don't have to. But you do have to face the consequences if you're caught breaking him. Amen? The judge will let you know that. Amen? Amen. I'm not challenging anybody, but if you want to go try to get away with how many speeding tickets or how many stop signs you can run, that's up to you. But don't come crying to me when I have to come bail you out of jail. All right. So, if that, that's the whole purpose of a law, is to have consequences and to keep us on track. For example, God said in the Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. Now the word kill there, it, it means murder. It doesn't mean step on a bug and kill it, you know, or Rob would have murdered in Sunday school. But nonetheless, we got uh, uh, understanding of that. And what was God's consequences in the Old Testament for murder? Well, to put it blunt, he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Amen. You killed somebody's brother, guess what that brother was going to do to you? Amen. But they had to do it in a right fashion according to the design that God put out there. So when we read of the kingdoms in the Old Testament, we see that they were designed to be a pattern to set an example or to be, if you would, what God wanted to do even deeper into the things that he has and he wanted those kingdoms to show us what a real kingdom should look like. First and foremost, any kingdom has to have a king. Amen? In the New Testament, who's our king? That's what I thought. It's Jesus Christ. But now how many kings did he have? Saul, Daniel. David, Solomon, oh, here we go, all down the line, all right. So when Israel asked God for a king, the prophet of God said, boys, you're making a mistake. Samuel told him, please don't ask God for a king because you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you one. If you ask for it, all right, he'll let you go the way you want to go. It's a mistake, I'm telling you, don't do it because you know what they'll do? When you put a king over you, he's going to collect taxes off of you. Is there anybody that pays too little taxes and wants to pay more? All right. Paul, you're more than welcome to write a check to the government. 
All right, any of you love being drafted in the army? Sure. Uh, we have an all-volunteer army, but when it was draft time, I got drafted. Amen. Of course, I didn't have to go because I failed the physical because of my hearing. But it, the king in the, their day and time, he's going to make every one of your sons have to fight in his army. Now, a lot of times, it's a, an army is something you've you got to have. I mean, for defense of what you own or possess or your kingdom or whatever you want to stand for. Too many kings want more riches, want bigger kingdoms, want to steal from the weak and keep for the powerful, whatever. But they wanted those people uh, that were kings, they wanted them to uh, get their, or the kings wanted to draft their sons into the army, pay more taxes, do more things. Why? They could live in more luxury. They didn't have to fight. They had armies all around them fighting for them. Huh. What do you think about that stuff? So, when it came down to it, God gave in and gave them Saul to be his king. Man, when they picked him, they thought this is the best thing since sliced bread. He's the most handsome guy in town. He's head and shoulders taller than the rest. He absolutely looks like he's a whole kingdom in himself. That's how good he looked to the people. Man, they jumped right on it. Amen. It's kind of like some of the governors we got in the country now. Uh, that's another subject. But nonetheless, he gave him Saul as a king. And the rest, we could say, is history. From one king right on down the line, those kings caused problems for God's people. Now back to our text here in Matthew 3. John again is the one that Isaiah prophesied would come and prepare the way for God to establish, if you would, a kingdom, and this kingdom is to be established forever. Amen? So when we see this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's something that those people took to heart. Now, I'm going to tell you how I know they took it to heart. In verse 5 and 6, it says all of Judea and all in the region. They all jumped on the bandwagon, ran out in the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach about this wonderful new kingdom of heaven. Man, I want to hear that preacher. He's got something new and exciting. And they knew it was from God. And they was anxious to answer his altar calls and get to go down in the River Jordan and get dunked and brought back up. And they wanted to see great things happen for their country uh, that John was planning on doing when he opened up the message that God had given him. So the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, was so popular even Jesus used it in John 14, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. How about that stuff? Amen. Now, looking into Matthew, the fifth chapter, that was just the beginning. That was just to set the stage. Now we're ready to bang the drums. Here we go. In John, the fifth chapter, here we find what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's, you know, I always tease about it and say, this was Jesus' first revival service. Uh, and it covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, I'm not going to preach all that. You read that for a bedtime story if you want. But it, uh, it opens the eyes 
of all the students that Jesus had gathering around him. Now, it didn't take much to gather a crowd. If you think back over the first four chapters of John, you'll find that he has done some amazing things. And he even, at as popular as John the Baptist was, John the Baptist told his followers, there he is, that's him, follow him. Amen? All right, he's the one that God sent, and he's the one that Isaiah said, I am supposed to point you to him. So the stage is set. Everybody can't wait to hear this fabulous person on the scene speak when he comes to his first revival here. And he says, and I'm dropping down to verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For, the word for means because. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right out of the chute. First thing he preached. Oh man, the kingdom of heaven is going to be yours if you're just poor in the spirit. Wow, that sounds like a good idea. Now, I know what it means to if when you read about the word blessed are the poor in spirit, I think I know what the word blessed means. How many of you are blessed? All right, I would say that would have been everybody in here that's breathing. But nonetheless, if in most Bible translations, you'll find that if you look at it, they put in, instead of blessed, they put in happy. Well, I tell you, if you're blessed, you should be happy. But in our day and time, in our language, if you would, what we think of happy sometimes is built on circumstances. You know, but being blessed of God, it's based on circumstances too, but it's God's circumstances and not ours. Amen? I don't know about you, but I get to go to the mailbox every day. Amen. Right about noon, I get this special delivery, and it's usually because somebody wants in my checking account. Amen? I understand that. I'm not really happy about all that, but I am happy when I get the Duke bill that my electricity works, the air condition works, my heater works. I have the benefits, but I have to pay for them. Amen. Spectrum comes through. They hit me for a, a couple C notes, but I get to watch a high state football. Well, so you got to, if you want to enjoy, you got to pay for it. All right, I understand that. And I'm not happy about paying the bill, but I'm happy that I get to do some of the things that I'm fortunate enough to do, if you want to look at it that way. So happy sometimes is either based too much on money or how much money you have, how much things you have around you, how many friends you have or don't have, or how good your present health is. But I know people that could check off all those boxes. They got plenty of money, plenty of friends, plenty of trinkets and toys, and they're still not happy. Huh. And I want you to know, it goes farther than that. They're not blessed either. Amen? Being blessed has nothing to do with your earthly status. I know people that are blessed that have very little, if you would, of money, or of possessions, or even their health sometimes. I know people that consider themselves very blessed, that are, if you would, in my eyes, kind of sickly or weak or need help physically. 
Amen. Uh, I'm kind of blessed in that department. I'm kind of, I think of myself as blessed anyway. I don't take any medicine. And to get as old as I am and not take medicine, there's got to be something working right. That's a blessing to me from God. Blessed means that you have no spiritual need because God has convicted you of the errors of your way and I have taken the right biblical steps to make peace with God in my soul. And once you do that, everything else is secondary. Amen? You at that point are blessed. That's why it says when I read verse 3, I think it says so much more to me than a lot of people because I've realized I am spiritually needy, but I have taken care of those steps. Amen? I don't know all the steps I should take. I don't have the Bible memorized. Did you know that? But I still have a Bible. And when God shows me something by his two witnesses, his word and his spirit, I know it's time for me to measure up. Amen? My salvation is mine. And therefore, it's up to me to see to it that I'm blessed no matter what my earthly circumstances are. As I look around our congregation here this morning, I see blessed group of people for two reasons. One, they chose to come to an agreement with God about their personal daily walk with Him of salvation. And number two, they've chosen to put priorities on spiritual things over physical things. Therefore, you are blessed. We sing a song like that, don't we? We're blessed, we're blessed, we're blessed. Yeah, we're blessed, blessed, blessed. Uh, all right, I won't sing that either. But nonetheless, amen. That's another blessing. Amen. Once those scenarios are covered, the kingdom of heaven is wide open to you. Amen. Once you have established your walk with God, once you've got your priorities set on uh, spiritual things, God will open the kingdom heaven wide open to you. Drop down into verse number 10 in that particular chapter. I want to read a little more. Again, it starts out blessed. Are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake? For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Isn't that something? Wow. Now the only difference in this blessing is that we have our spiritual condition as a result of righteousness dwelling in our spirit. Amen? Now he said in the first one, it was those that were poor in spirit or those that, let me just say it real easy to you, those that see they have a need of things spiritually in their life. That makes that a little more clear maybe for us to understand. Uh, some people think that, that poor in spirit means you got a poor spirit. No. It means you've taken care of the needs in your spirit. Amen. But in righteousness means that we do the right thing when it we're given a choice between right and wrong. Now, we may not make the, that choice, but... We have to walk to the dictates that God gives us on the choices that we do make. And we have found out over the last 50 years or so, 
it's better to make the right choice than to make the wrong choice and then have to correct it. Amen? I used to work on cars for a living. Man, we were flat rate guys. If you had to bust it every day from sun up to sundown on the flat rate system to make a living to cut a paycheck on the end of the week. Amen? It was a tough job. What you did yesterday didn't matter. What you did last month didn't matter. Today's all that mattered, and this job is all that mattered. And some guys would get in a hurry and try to shortcut a job. And I would always tell them, if you can't find time to do it right now, where are you going to have time to straighten out what you messed up and then not get paid for it the second time? You have to do it. Why not do it right the first time? Even if it takes you a little longer, you'll still, at the end of the week, be far down the road better off. Amen? So when we think of this and the blessed part that comes when we'll not only choose to do right, the public display that we have made right choices and we don't cower when others make fun of us for making those choices rather than to give in to the peer pressure and walk contrary to those convictions. That's what it means when you're persecuted for righteousness. Amen. We think when somebody says, oh, you're an old fuddy dud, and they even, oh, they, the, the real one, you old holy roller, and your feelings get hurt because they don't think of you as a sweetie, sweetie, pookie, pookie. Amen? You need to get over it. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to call you names. They're going to do whatever they want because they want to persecute you for doing righteousness. Amen? You know why? That's a self-defense mechanism built into them. They're not doing right, so they don't want you to do right and put them down or make them look bad. Amen? we got to get beyond that. You see, any dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a live fish full of vinegar and uh, to swim upstream against the current and get to the destination that that fish desires. Amen? you got to do the same thing in your spirit. Amen? You can always just float along with whatever wind blows, but at the end of the day, where are you going to end up at? You don't know. But you're going to fight those winds if you're the child of God, God wants you to be. And if you're interested in making it into the kingdom of heaven, those times are going to come. And when you come out the other end, righteous for the persecution you stood against, then the kingdom of heaven will be at your disposal if you would. All right, now then, drop down to verse 17. Boy, we're moving right along here, aren't we? I want to read verse 17 and 18 to get, you, get your mindset right, and then we're going to nail it down for you. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. This is Jesus speaking. Or the prophets, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, Till it all be fulfilled. Now the jot and the tittle is what we would say, dot your I's and cross your T's. In the, in the language that we use, uh, whatever you call it, English, um, I know I, I, English is a hard subject for me in school, but that's the only language I know. So we'll just have to go with that. 
Amen. So here we go. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. Now, a lot of people want to argue over that because when you talk about the law, what are they talking about? It wasn't Herod's law he was talking about. It wasn't Caesar's law he was considering. It wasn't Pilate's law. It was God's law. All right, now you may think, well, that's the Ten Commandments, or you may think that's what Moses got while he was on Mount Sinai and other laws that God gave. You know what God's law is? It starts in Genesis, and it's not done until we get done with Revelation. It's the book that God gave us in his handwriting, if you would, uh, for the righteous to have a conscience to choose uh, what they need to do to be right with God. All right, now with that in mind, he came to fulfill the law, got it? So here's what he's going to do. Whosoever, who's that? It's anybody that wants to. And he certainly includes all of us, for sure. Therefore, that's one of our study words. What's it mean? Whatever I say in context, put it together and come to this conclusion. Shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Huh. Isn't that something? You can be ranked. You know, I know I was never in the army, but I know they got corporals and they got sergeants and they got captains and they got lieutenants and they've got all kinds of them, all the way up to general and beyond. Uh, you know, they're all different ranks. Some of them are greater and some of them are buck privates. They're the least, I guess you'd say. Well, that might be true in man's law, but God has a different opinion of that, so to speak. And then he goes on to say, but, in that 19th verse, what's but mean? other side of the coin, here's the other half of that, whosoever again all of us shall do all and shall do and teach all teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom isn't that something, the kingdom of heaven did you know there was a least and a great in the kingdom of heaven huh, I've never looked at it that way, now Jesus taught that amen I'm just happy to be in the kingdom of heaven Amen. I could probably be the worst or I could be the best. I have no idea. But I know one thing. When we compare ourselves to others, that's when we get in trouble in the kingdom of heaven. So, and I realize, and he's going to clear this up for us in the next verse, but let me spend a little time here. But I want you to know that uh, when he talks about this least in the kingdom of heaven and then the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who's going to do, who's going to teach, who's going to obey, they shall be called great in the kingdom. Come on now, we've got to get this squared away here, right? I don't want to be in the least category when the great category is available. Hmm. So we need to look at it a little bit. When you and I step back and take a look at what today promoted under what we call the name of Christianity around our world, look at everything they try to get under that umbrella. That lets me know if they are, I'm not judging them because that's not my job. God will judge them in the final judgment. And if God has allowed them to do what they do, if you would, under the umbrella of Christianity, and they just barely get in, I'm glad they do get in. 
But in my circumstance, there's things I know that I can't get away with because the Holy Spirit has convicted me of some things that they think they can do as Christians. I can't do that. Now, that doesn't necessarily make me the greatest, but at least it makes me aware that God wants to use me in a different scenario, if you would, of that. So, uh, so on the other hand, I also see some that would fall in the, what I call the great category. I look around and see people today that I have a ton of respect for as a Christian under the Christian umbrella. Amen? So they, if you would, they would fall in not only the greatest, but guess what else? They fall in the blessed category too. Amen? So in my mind, the thought of least or great are words that are relative. And you know what that means when I say they're relative? Well, how least is least? How great is great? How long is long? How short is short? Depends on what you compare it to. How tall is tall? How short is short? Amen. Oh, well. How fat is fat? How skinny is skinny? Just depends on what you compare it to. Amen. You have to know where you fall in those categories. So when I read verse number 20 here, it separates that all out in my mind. In verse 20, it says, For, again, that means because, because I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case, not the least, not the greatest, in no case, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Huh. What do you think about that? I actually think when he used the least term and the greatest term, in verse 19, he was setting the table for the Pharisees to step up so he could chop, their knee, chop them off right just below the knees and bring them back to earth when he got to verse 20 and talked about righteousness. Amen? Isn't that something? Well, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, except yours, not only match theirs, he said it has to exceed. Woo! That's a little bit deeper, isn't it? Amen. All right. Do you, on your job, just try to get by with as little as you can get by? Well, you won't climb the ladder very fast doing that. But if you exceed the boss's expectations, chances are you're going to climb and get to the top where you should be. Amen. Or where you want to be. So the, his righteousness here, it means uh, that it has to exceed those scri uh, scribes and Pharisees to exceed, that means you have to go beyond what would just be easy or what would be trivial or just get by. Too many Christians I see today just want to get by. And when they don't, it's usually somebody else's fault. Amen. So now that we see the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the, the so-called Christians of their day, is not God's standard for righteousness. 
And if that standard will try to compare that to ourselves, guess what? We will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. We'll be shut out just like they're going to shut out because you know better. All right. Now get your pencils and, and your papers out. And I'm going to give you several scriptures down through here that you can read for a bedtime story that Jesus went on and promote during this sermon about righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, those so-called Christians. In verse 21, ye have heard it was said, but I say unto you. Verse 27, ye have heard it, it was said, but I say unto you. Verse 31, it hath been said, but I say unto you. Verse 33, ye have heard that it has been said of them of old, but I say unto you. Verse 38, ye have heard, but I say unto you. Verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, but I say, can I tell you something? Those uh, one, two, three, four, five, six scriptures lets the scribes and Pharisees know that what they have said in the past is not God's standard. I say unto you, we're going to step up a little closer, and even those of old time, and one of them says, remember we talked about thou shalt not kill? In the old days, it was eye for an eye. Jesus said, no, nah, it's not eye for an eye no more. That's that we're going to do away with that. We're going to step up and say, no man's going to get by with anything. An eye for an eye is just getting even. We don't want to get even. We want to get ahead. We want to exceed in what we do in the kingdom of God. Amen. So now in this same sermon or this revival he's preaching on the mount, he gets to chapter 6. All right. This chapter is about the hypocrisy of those that think they are in righteousness when they're not. Okay? Now I'll give you three more verses you can write down. Verse 1, when you give alms. That's when you help somebody. When you give someone a hand, loan them some money. Right? Whatever you want to do to help the poor, give them a baloney sandwich, whatever it takes to get them through. If they're hungry, amen. If they're thirsty, buy them a Gatorade. Whatever it takes, amen. When you do that, don't blow the horn and blast the trumpet so everybody will come look and see what in the world you just do it. It's the right thing to do. Just do it. Don't let anybody else know about it. Don't tell nobody in advance. Just get it done. When you want to help somebody, help them. Amen. That's between you two, and nobody else needs to know that, if you would, circumstance. So when you give alms, do it secretly. Verse 5, when you pray. Now we have prayer where Brother Steve stands right here where I'm standing and spits out a prayer. Amen. And we all say amen. We're all in agreement with it. That's not what this is talking about. 
It's talking about your personal life and your personal walk with Jesus Christ and God. When you got burdens, first thing you need to do, take them to God. Get in the closet, close the door, don't tell nobody. You can tell me about it, you can tell the church about it after you've told God about it. Did you get that? Because your righteousness needs to exceed those that are just blowing the trumpet to hear themselves talk. Amen? All right, so we need to make sure when we pray, we do it right. And he says in verse 16, when you fast, that should be something personal. Amen? Don't go putting on ragged clothes. Don't go down in the mouth and poor me, pity me. I've got it rougher than anybody. I'm the worst of the worst when it comes to how hard I got it. No, when you fast, that should be a decision between you and God, and I don't need to know about it. Now, if you're on a fast, and I say to you, hey, why don't we meet for a donut and a coffee? You might want to say at that point, well, that's, it's not good timing because right now I'm in the middle of a fast with the Lord. If that's what you do on a fast, you eliminate donuts and coffee. How about that? Amen. We probably couldn't even have Sunday school if we did that. Amen. Donuts and coffee, that's the first thing we do in Sunday school, right? But nonetheless, here's what we got. We've got people that want to do these things, help people out, but they want to pat on the back for it. They want to pray for things, but they want everybody to hear their prayer, how spectacular a prayer it is. Or they want to fast because of circumstances, but they want everybody to know how rough they've got it and how God is so special to them because they fast. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and not to be seen of man. Amen? Saints, the blessed life in the kingdom of heaven is the life that is selfless and done without pride or division. I've said it before many a time. It's all about God and it's all about souls. And if you're only doing it for the recognition, you're not doing it for the right reason. The, the Pharisees tried that. They stood on the corner, and man, they prayed about as loud. I don't know if they, had, if they didn't have PA systems. They may have had one of them things like the cheerleaders use. I don't know. They hold it up and speak through that cone thing and make a big loud noise. I don't know how they prayed. But they wanted to make sure everybody saw them pray, you know? And there are others that just smoked their breast and fell on their face and said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of them do you think made the most noise in heaven? All right, now we know. So when we at Faith Christian Fellowship start doing things so that we think that we're better than someone else, we're doing it for the wrong reason. Amen. You may say, well, we're surely better than the church down the street where they have the yogis. You know, I don't know. They, they have cards. They got signs out. They'll read your card. They'll read your future and everything else. Amen. Now, if you want your future read, come see me and I'll tell you what it's going to be. Amen. And we're not saying that we're better than the church on the other side of the tracks or in another town or nothing else. We just need to be Faith Christian Fellowship doing righteously what God asks us to do to be the church we need to be. Amen? 
And if we've gotten off track with God, it's up to us to straighten it out, get ourselves back in line, get our nose back in the book, let the Holy Spirit spend some time with us in meditation, we'll get back on track with God. Our daily walk with God of salvation in the kingdom of heaven means more to us than just being happy. It's more than being happy about where we stand. It's more than happy about where we are as compared to someone else. It's more than that when we think about what God's trying to do through his people in the time that we're walking this earth. Amen? Jesus summed up his teaching about this hypocritical Christianity this way in verse number 33. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Did you get that? That's pretty powerful. Amen? Now, I know I'm preaching on the kingdom of heaven today and Jesus just said, kingdom of God. Doesn't he know what he was preaching on in the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount? It was all about kingdom of heaven. Now he says kingdom of God. Huh. Wow, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, we need to seek first that kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will take care of itself. Because God knows your wants. He knows your needs. He knows how to put you in a position to be, keep you, if you would, safe. I don't know how many times in my lifetime I can count where I was close to a disaster. This close. But for God, that's far enough. Amen? One more blink of the eye, and I could have been in a, a bad situation. But God took care of that. Amen? Now, if you notice here, again... He talks about the kingdom of God and we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. In reality, it's the same thing. Well, I'd like to be one of those blessed in the kingdom of heaven, but I don't have enough money. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough of this and I don't have enough of that. Well, I know what you're thinking. We think in our world, those are the things that are going to make you happy and are going to make you blessed. Turn with me to Matthew 19. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. You can read this for a bedtime story tomorrow night. If I've already given you too much to read. Amen. And he talks about him and he comes to him in verse 16 of chapter 19 and comes down and Jesus talks to him uh, about, you know, if you want to get saved, you want to be a part of the kingdom, Sell what you got. Just, get, just sell it. Give it to the poor. Because those are the things that are holding you back anyway. Amen? Now, he didn't tell you to sell all you got and give it to the poor. But he did this guy. So evidently, you're doing a better job at maintaining the riches you have than this guy was doing with the riches he had. Because if the riches were your problem, God would have a way of getting them out of your, your system so that you could move forward for him. Amen? So don't ever pray that way. God, if riches is my problem, take them. Because he knows probably then you're focused on them and you'll end up bankrupt. So 
Here we have this guy, he was rich in worldly goods, but he was not rich towards God. Now, in verse 23, down through verse 26, here's what Jesus taught that guy. All right? He says here, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto his disciples, not to the rich man, to his disciples. They needed to learn this lesson, as does everybody else. Amen. Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. It's hard to get in if you're rich. Man, we better start selling out, hadn't we? Garage sales everywhere, right? Amen. We're going to unload because we want to make the kingdom. That's not what he means. Amen. So, but he's saying here, it's hardly. It's harder for people with riches to get their eyes off of riches and on the kingdom of God than it would be if you could just have enough that the neighbors aren't going to come by and try to take it from you. Amen. Amen. Worst thing you can do if you hit the lottery for $30 million is put it on the front page of the paper. You'll have more friends than you know what to do with and every one of them will want to be right there in your pocket. Amen. But you can win $30 million if you want. If you, if you want to play the lottery, I don't, I don't prescribe to that. But if you wanted to and win $30 million and you want to share it with everybody, hey, just don't let it affect your righteousness before God. And then again in verse 24, again I say unto you, same thing he said, I told you back in the earlier chapters, chapter uh, 6 there, or chapter 5, all those six verses I gave you. I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Wow, in verse 23, he said kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, he said kingdom of God. On the same subject, talking about the same thing, he uses those terms interchangeably. Isn't that something? Well, I've got preachers that'll sit down with you and, and argue till the cows come home. There's a difference between the two. Well, not according to Jesus, not the way I read the scriptures, but that's for another day. Verse 25, the disciples even picked up on this. They're pretty sharp. When they're sat down and look, Jesus is looking them right in the eyes. When the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Huh. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and saved is the same thing. Same scenario. Same context. Same everything. So whenever you get people wanting to divide or split or split hairs or carry on, just show them the truth in the word. Amen. Jesus wanted them to do that. But the truth of the matter is in verse 26. But on the other hand, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. When he comes to the kingdom of God, it's God's way or no way. Comes to being saved, it's God's way or no way. Amen. When it comes to obeying the things, the laws of God, it's God's way or no way. Amen. When it comes to obeying the ordinances, when it comes to obeying the commandments, it's God's way or no way. I know people that don't even want to obey the ordinances, but they'll tell you they believe in them. But when it comes time to practice it, 
I ain't going to do that. Amen. We need to get over that. We need to humble ourselves and, and let the righteousness of God carry us through. Amen. So if you ever want to be blessed in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, you have to do it God's way. Because any other way is impossible to please him. If you don't do it God's way, you'll never make it to where God wants you to be. Amen? God is the one that's in control when it comes to his kingdom. He's the, in charge of it. Amen? Now, if you come to my house, I love y'all. You can come as much as you want, but I would advise you, when you come in, you might want to wipe your feet before you walk through the front door. Or if you come through the garage, you might want to leave your shoes in the garage. I have to, because the king there doesn't allow shoes in the house. Amen? That's the law. The king has laid down the law. Amen? You have to obey the law if you want to enter in. Amen? That's the way it is. So it's no different in God's kingdom. You want to enter in his kingdom? He can set the rules. He sets the law. We have to measure up or he'll slam the door and say, sorry, come back another time when you're wanting to obey the laws, of, if you would, of the house or of the kingdom. Amen. And remember, Jesus never said this was going to be easy. Just worth it. 